0: You're going to love this. Just love it.
1: Well I don't
0: know why I came here tonight? Why did I? Why did I? I? Had a right. That's right scared kiss I fall off my chair. nope not scared and I'm how I'll get down the, stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you. oh they are all over yes, the yes they are but I am stuck in the middle with you and I am delighted to be stuck in the middle with you. After three long weeks away uh, during the KPFK fun drive, thank you all for your support. Delighted to be back. This is your broadcast on Pacifica Radio's 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast, And around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on TuneIn, on Netroots Radio, on Liberal Justice Radio, and even on iTunes. Yes, you can run, but you can't hide. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist. Muckraker, troublemaker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Glad you could join us here. As I say, very delighted to be back um, live with you from Los Angeles. Uh, We will be joined momentarily by a former Republican presidential candidate... So you're going to want to stick around for that. A really, really interesting guy, as a matter of fact. Um, and and we're going to be talking about rights. We're going to be talking about freedom. And it's only appropriate because I know, I'm sure many of my listeners here uh are are just back from Operation American Spring in Washington, D.C., where uh, I know that uh, the the organizers told us 10 to 30 million Americans would be showing up to uh, demand the resignation or arrest of President Barack Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi, uh, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. Who else was going to? Oh, John Boehner was going to have to uh, stand down. Was somehow was going to be resident uh Mitch McConnell was also going to be deposed by the operation American Spring well as it turns out the uh 10 to 20 million people 10 to I'm sorry 10 to 30 million people didn't actually make it out to Washington DC as a matter of fact the number was closer to 10 million actually the number was closer to 10. Uh, I wrote about it at bradblog.com and over at salon.com because Glenn Beck's supporters turned on him, turned on Glenn Beck, said that they had been beck stabbed because Glenn Beck did not support Operation American Spring. Uh, So, uh, kind of amusing story, kind of funny to see that uh, Frankenstein's monsters are now turning on him as they, uh, you know, have been taught to believe they are fighting for freedom and rights and all these manner of things that, in truth, they don't really give a damn about. If they gave a damn about it, they would be fighting for voting rights and they would be fighting against these rules being put in place by Republicans to keep Democratic-leaning voters from being able to cast their vote at all. They would be fighting for the freedom to marry whoever the hell you wanted, instead of fighting against that freedom. Um, the fight for rights, as I say, continues, whether the Operation American Spring Dopes are going to uh, uh, join that fight or not. Uh, over the past several weeks, as we've been off, I'm going to try to fit in a lot to this hour because as we've been off, there have been a lot of uh, great court victories uh, when it comes to rights, uh, including in Wisconsin, a federal ruling. A 90-page federal ruling, a great ruling, uh, just decimating the uh, Republicans' photo ID restriction law up there in Wisconsin, Uh, the judge finding that far more voters would be kept from voting than uh, fraudulent votes uh, stopped from being cast. Uh, Pennsylvania also lost in their fight for photo ID, and the Governor Corbett, uh, Tom Corbett up there. One of the dumbest uh, governors in the nation i just got to get that on record—has decided he will not appeal that. Uh, He also, by the way, lost a fight for uh, marriage rights up there, or I should say lost a fight against marriage rights up there in Pennsylvania. He will not appeal that one either. Uh, In Iowa, Secretary of State Matt Schultz can't find any voter fraud at all after spending a quarter of a million dollars trying to ferret it out. So this may be the beginning of the end for these GOP uh, photo ID restriction laws uh, in court. We'll see. We may talk a a little bit about that, a little bit more about that later in the show. And if you stay tuned, you will find out what California secretary of state candidate is now threatening to sue me for defamation. Yeah, Uh, the primary out here is next Tuesday, uh, June 3rd. Uh, we'll see if I, I get sued by uh, by then or not. I'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. And, of course, Desi Doyen will join us, as always, for the Green News Report, as oil production through fracking in, in the Monterey Shale region out here in uh, California was found to have only been overstated by 2,300%. <laughs> so we've got that and much more straight ahead. But first, Fred Carger. He is a uh, political consultant, a gay rights activist, and was a 2012 candidate for the Republican presidential nomination. He worked on nine presidential campaigns and served as a senior consultant to the campaigns of Presidents Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Gerald Ford after retiring as a California campaign consultant. He has worked as a uh, activist on gay rights causes at Californians Against Hate. He investigated the Mormon churches and the National Organization for Marriages campaigns to use Prop 8 to repeal California same-sex marriage law. Oh, how'd that work out? It didn't. Uh, his run for the Republican nomination for president in 2012 made him the first openly gay presidential candidate from a major political party in American history. And it's the subject of the new documentary film, Fred. Carger is continuing his fight for gay rights and marriage equality. Tonight, he's up in Maine, where the state has found, the State Ethics Commission at least, has found, based on Carger's official complaint, that the National Organization for Marriage, who Fred helped to bust out here in California uh, after they uh, were caught failing to disclose their efforts on, uh, on Prop 8, Uh, They've done the same thing up in Maine, essentially laundering money for use in campaigns to defeat marriage equality in that state as well. The Maine Commission on Governmental Ethics and Election Practices recently released a scathing 37-page report recommending a record $50,000 fine against National Organization for Marriage, that's the nation's leading anti-LGBT group. They ran and funded Question One in Maine, the referendum on November 3, 2009, uh, to stop Maine's same sex marriage law from taking effect. Today, the members of the uh, Maine's Ethics Commission held a hearing to consider the recommendations made by their own staffers to slap. Nam, we call them, the National Organization for Marriage, with that record fine. Fred Carger is on the phone with us from Maine to discuss how that went and much more. Hey, Fred Carger, welcome, sir, to the Bradcast. Hello, Brad. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I'm delighted to talk to you. Thanks for making time for me today. I know you're, you're, you're heading out of Maine, I think, even as we speak and, and taking time at the airport for us.
2: You're right. I'm trying to lose that Maine accent, though it's very contagious. So <laughs> I Coming understand. Back to California this evening.
0: I understand. Uh, we hope to see you out here safely soon. Uh, how'd the uh, How'd the hearing go in Maine today uh, on this uh, national organization for marriage and their scheme to launder thousands of dollars uh, to fight against marriage equality in Maine? Actually, it
2: was a it was a very uh, heartening day to see our. Governmental Ethics Commission at work and doing such a splendid job. And this is a very small office in Maine, the Maine Ethics Commission. But uh, five years ago, based on a, 30, a 55 page complaint I filed against the National Organization for Money Laundering, they voted three to two um, in 2009 to investigate NAM, who was in the middle of funding their anti gay marriage campaign in Maine, as you mentioned, question one. Well, the investigation proceeded. Um, unfortunately, they were successful and stopped marriage in Maine for three years. But then NAM sued the commission and sued the state, taking it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and the state of Maine Supreme Court to stop the investigation. They failed in both attempts. And then the commission, as you said, issued this uh, this 37-page report, fining them a record amount, double what they previously ever fined anybody for election in Maine, mm-hmm. they found them guilty of money laundering. And uh, the chairman of the National Organization for Marriage from Orange County, Don Eastman, was there as their attorney, and Brian Brown, as the president, was there. And uh, it was a it was not a good day for them, but it was a great day for those of us who believe in truth and transparency in elections. And and they say they're going to appeal this one as well. And. and We'll be back in
0: court. So uh, so it's official now. The fine has been levied against this group, and, of course, they have their right to to appeal, and it's going to go to court. But, in fact, Maine has slapped this group with a $50,000 fine, correct?
2: $50,000 fine, many counts of money laundering, um, over $2 million that they took into Nam, and they didn't report any of the donors. And apparently there are 11 major donors, and that was very dramatic today. They released this... Uh, List. They showed the commissioners in private, and then they showed the plaintiffs or the defendants rather, Brian Brown and John Eastman. And uh, one of these donors, they called John Doe 11, gave two million four hundred and forty-five thousand dollars to NAM that year. Man. And my my inkling, my suspicion is it's the Mormon Church because that's the donor they've been going through four and a half years of litigation to protect. Somebody big, somebody important who gave two two and a half million dollars to Nam during the maine election and um, and they're covering it up and trying to protect that donor. and so, and
0: so we don't even we, we don't even know who that two and a half million dollars came from and Maine state laws in Maine don't require that they disclose where that uh, 2.5 million dollars came from
2: well no that's the issue they do require once a committee like Nam gives or or um, spends $5,000 in an in election like that in 2009, they have to report as a PAC, and then as a PAC, any donor of $50 or more has to be reported, just mm-hmm. like we have in California and other states, and they chose not to go that route. They did not want to provide their donor names to the state um, ethics commission, so I filed a sworn complaint against them, demanding that they abide by the law, which they said that they're not um, covered under. For, uh... you know, the commission... Agreed with me, and, and this is again, four and a half years later that the commission clamped down on them, demanded they release their list, they have to file back campaign reports, and they're fined $50,000 uh, to boot.
0: Now, Fred Carger, how is that uh, situation in Maine similar to what happened back here uh, and and the complaint that you filed against, uh, was it the National Organization of Marriage or was it the Mormon Church uh, in regard to Prop 8 and their effort uh, to stop marriage equality out here in California? How how are these two cases similar? Well,
2: I was tracking the money to Prop 8 as kind of a one-man operation, and that's who discovered? I discovered the Mormon Church's vast involvement in that campaign, funding about three-quarters of the $40 million and, and doing uh, all kinds of independent expenditures, in-kind contributions. So I filed a sworn complaint with our Ethics Commission mm-hmm. back in November of 2008, and that led to an 18-month investigation of the Mormon Church, unprecedented. They prosecuted the Church, they found them guilty of 13 counts of election fraud and fined them. I have evidence that the Mormon Church established the National Organization for Marriage in California to qualify and pass Proposition 8 to shield their direct involvement, mm-hmm. and that's who um, we feel is behind this, this operation now that's running all the anti-gay marriage campaigns and funding all the lawsuits. They're, they're doing it single-handedly, and so there's a definite connection there. There are three very prominent Mormons on the seven-member National NOM Board, Mm -hmm. and we know they have great control and influence, and and I contend this $2.5 million check probably came from the Mormon Church, which, of course, would be a huge black eye for this wounded church anyway, and I think that's why they're going to all this uh, to a great extent to, to stop this investigation and, and not give up these
0: names. Uh, Fred Carger, uh, former uh, uh, presidential nominee, uh, I'm sorry, candidate, not nominee <laughs> yet. Uh, in uh, it, 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 beat it, Obama for sure. That's Well, there you go. A Republican presidential candidate from 2012 and uh, uh, LGBT activist. Uh, Fred, uh, we we had a, another similar case where it was found that the Koch brothers out here in California were funding uh two different propositions uh, and of course it was all undisclosed in violation of California laws. Jerry Brown has just uh, signed a new law that will theoretically keep that from happening out here in campaigns in California. I wrote about it at Bradblog and over at Salon recently. Um, But that's on a state level. That's at California. And uh, isn't the problem here um, taking this larger than the fight for uh, marriage equality and for rights and and marriage freedom, frankly, um, isn't the problem here? Our, uh, our 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 tax exempt 501 C3 C4 uh, tax issues and this notion that you can spend millions of undisclosed money disguising yourself as a social welfare organization. We recently, on this show, we, we had um, some folks who have challenged the Federal Elections Commission because they recently gave a pass to Karl Rove and his Crossroads GPS, who spent tens of millions of dollars in elections, never declared themselves to be a political action committee, and yet the uh, the FEC, the F- uh, Federal Election Commission, let them off the hook. Isn't the problem with the laws that we have on both the state and federal level that allows this stuff now to happen, and the fact that nobody is seeking accountability, or at least your party, the Republican Party, is doing everything they can to avoid accountability on these issues.
2: Well, yeah, it's probably a little more tilted toward the Republicans doing it, but it's uh, very common now with these super PACs that were, of course, um, allowed under the Citizens United case, mm-hmm. and I initially thought, well, that might be good for the system because it it um, it will require more disclosures. But I was wrong on that. And what it has created are these great secret packs, like Carl Rove has set up and the Koch brothers fund and many others. And um, I, I'm not a big guy in campaign limits. Um, some instances they're they're healthy, I think. But but what I am fully supportive of is. And I agree with Anton Scalia on this, who is, wrote the majority opinion, that the disclosure is everything. Eight to one Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court decision that we want to know where this money can, comes from. And poll after poll, of course, the public does too. And I think it's an important part of our democracy. So we're going to have to tweak these laws because the Supreme Court, basically with Citizens United, opened up the floodgates and people can give as much as they want. And we certainly saw that in the presidential Election, two billion dollar campaigns, Romney and Obama, and plus, you know, hundreds of millions more from all these independent groups. So I think we do need to reform our system. It's a very tough situation based on Supreme Court rulings, so. though.
0: Well, Fred, we obviously we need to. You you say tweak these laws, but. Your party is working very hard to do quite the opposite of that in every way they can. That case I mentioned concerning Karl Rove and his Crossroads GPS at the Federal Election Commission, I mean, they – were, you know, the, the staffers on that commission were very specific that uh, Rove uh, broke the law by not filing as a political action committee, but because the Republicans have stacked the FEC with with people who simply will not follow the law and they're being sued on that, uh, that case went nowhere. The signal was sent out to Karl Rove and the Koch brothers and the Democrats who are, who are doing this uh, that, you know, go ahead and do it. Spend all the money you want, pretend that you're a social welfare organization, spend all the money you want on campaigns, directly on uh, campaign ads and so forth, and nothing will be done about it. I mean, I, I, I have since, since I've gotten to know you over the years, I still continue to ask myself, how can you still be a Republican when your party seems to be absolutely opposed to pretty much everything you advocate for, Fred Carger? <laughs>
2: well, I'm one of these stubborn guys. I've been in the same house thirty seven years and <laughs> that's pretty hard for me to change. And the Democratic Party's in, in fine shape on voter registration and opening that up and election reform and um, social issues certainly. But the Republican Party's where the work needs to be done. And I think if every moderate and libertarian Republican, independent Republican leaves the party, that it's really gonna be in trouble. So I'm there to try and change it, to speak out on issues, to to go to Republican gatherings when I can, and I can stomach them. Uh, they're pretty unpleasant, a lot of them today, but but I'm encouraged by some of these candidates who are turning out younger voters and getting them excited. Ron Paul was a great example. I didn't agree with him on much, but I'd go to his rallies during the 2012 cycle, and he'd have 10,000 college students show up mm-hmm. for these things, kind of Obama numbers, so... You know, there's hope. I'm, I'm hopeful that the Republican Party is going to move a little more back to the center as it was when I came aboard in the 60s when I first started working on campaigns as a teenager for Rockefeller and Charles Percy in my home state. And, and don't forget back then in the 60s, it was the Democrats that were the, the problems. There were the Southern Democrats that were stopping the Civil Rights Act from happening. They were doing all the bad things. And a lot of them left, like Strom Thurmond and joined the Republican Party, and it hasn't been the same since. So I, I want to be an agent of change from from my point of view as much as I can and, and be a reasonable voice and try and bring younger people into the political process, period. I think a lot of people are turned off, and we need people reaching out to them and bringing them around. Of course, they're great on issues that I are very, very important to me, like same-sex marriage and, and the choice issues. So the more younger people we get in, I think the better the system will be. The
0: problem is, Fred, I think you are um, you know, and, and mind you, when, when I talk about the Republican Party, I'm not suggesting that the Democratic Party is wonderful. I'm just suggesting that the Republican Party has gone off the rails. And, you know, you look at a place like North Carolina, and I've got this uh, clip standing by. I'd love to play for you here. Um, this, The fight that's happening right now, for example, in North Carolina for voting rights, for for union rights, for just about everything in this uh, southern state that used to be rather progressive, frankly, for a southern state, uh, and yet— uh, the the party has become more and more radical, more and more extreme. It doesn't seem to be moving in, in your direction, Fred. Here is Reverend William Barber. He's uh, the head of the N, uh, North Carolina NAACP. They've been holding these Moral Monday rallies out there now for months and months. Uh, he spoke, I, I believe this was on Chris Hayes yesterday. Let me just play a clip of, of what he had to say, frankly, about your party, Fred.
1: This extremes that we don't even call them Republican. Because the things they are fighting against, Republicans have actually supported. They have denied Medicaid expansion to 500,000 people. There's a young lady being arrested tonight with cerebral cancer who would be eligible for Medicaid. They've denied earned income tax credit. Ronald Reagan supported earned income tax credit. George Herbert Walker Bush supported earned income tax credit. They've denied unemployment, and they have denied uh, teachers their tenure. We're in court right now. The judges are ruling against them. And they've denied voting rights. So this is an extremist. These are not. This is not mainstream Republicanism because in the history of Republican, Republicanism, and in the history of Democrats, people have supported them. But this is extremism at its core.
0: Extremism at its core. Talking about the Republican Party up in North Carolina, which I don't think is all that different from uh, any other uh, Republican uh, party in this country, unfortunately, anymore. Fred Carger. Um, uh, what is it that you still agree with the Republican Party on, if I could ask? He, he
2: made the point. He said, Raul Reagan, George H.W. Bush. Well, those are two presidential or campaigns that I worked on. And those are much more reasonable. And yes, it has shifted far right. And yes, a lot of reasonable Republicans have left the party to become you know, no political party or independents or even Democrats. And so we're trying to change it from within. We're not ready to wave the white flag of surrender. I I happen to agree, though, I think the teacher tenure issue that he discussed uh, is a big problem. And we've got these bad teachers that are protected by the the two major teacher unions in this country, and they're doing great damage to our schools because you can't get fired if you're a bad teacher. You're protected by these unions. So I think this tenure for um, for K through 12 is a bad idea, and I think we need to transform education uh, that we all know. And I think by tenured teachers and these two powerful teachers' unions. Where I agree with the Republican Party, I think, is is really setting this country back and really harming the kids of the United States.
0: But, yeah, isn't the fight against uh, teachers really a fight against the teachers' union to try to get their money out of elections? Uh, because, it, it, you know, if these Republicans are so concerned about, uh, you know, teachers and education, why do they keep cutting education all over the country? Why do they keep uh, making it harder and harder for the good teachers to continue teaching? I mean, isn't that really a mask for what they're doing, Uh fred i'm sure there are some who
2: have that on uh, as their agenda i am not one of those and i think the majority certainly republicans and certainly parents and anyone who cares about this country realizes the value of the public education system it's it's what makes this country great and it's what will preserve this country and its future and we need to transform education and and I, I made that a big issue during my campaign, and I, I talked to a lot of people involved with charter schools. I talked to Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan, who transformed the Chicago school system uh, to some extent, my hometown, and I think it's very important. I don't think it's strictly political that they're trying to just bust up these unions so there'll be less funding, and there's plenty of funding on the Democratic side, too. There are a lot of wealthy Democrats, and there are a lot of uh, strong unions, and And I think there are a lot of necessary unions, and I've worked with many, but I think there are a lot of unnecessary unions, too, that they're the reason so many jobs are going overseas, and and they're realizing that they have outlived their usefulness, some of these unions. And there was tremendous abuse, and unions were necessary in this country. But now I think that we have a much more advanced society. They're not as necessary in many of the industries, but they are in, in a lot of the newer industries that are getting organized
0: good well I I wanted to make sure that we you and I before we left that we uh, completely disagreed on at least something because I think that's only the right thing so I'm going to disagree with you on that one but I want to leave on a uh, on a note of agreement here uh, I suspect uh, this string of recent court victories when it comes to uh, marriage equality just within the past few weeks uh, we've seen Arkansas Idaho Oregon Pennsylvania uh, victories in all of these states uh, for frankly, freedom, uh, which is what marriage equality is. and frankly, it's a conservative constitutional value, equal protection under the law. In the federal ruling uh, that struck down the uh, uh, Pennsylvania's marriage equality ban as unconstitutional, District Court judge jo- John E. Jones, a George W. Bush appointee, described the state's ban on marriage equality as an injustice. And he wrote in his rather moving decision uh, featuring section headers that mirrored the classic wedding vows that, quote, all couples deserve equal dignity in the realm of marriage. He wrote, in future generations, the label same-sex marriage will be abandoned to be replaced simply by marriage. We are a better people than what these laws represent, and it is time to discard them into the ash heap of history. Fred, you've been a great champion on this particular cause. Uh, Is it one? um, Is it now just all over but uh, the mopping up at this point? Uh, And which uh, state will be the last one to come around to uh, freedom (laughs) and uh, the conservative value of equal protection for all?
2: I think it's going to end up very much like the interracial marriage battle where there were 16 states that did not allow it until the Supreme Court interceded with Loving versus Virginia not that long ago. And so I, I, I can just see it. That's what uh, is being set up. That was the strategy of Evan Wilson and many others who are the pioneers in the marriage movement. And that is what we're seeing today. And last week there was a stay-to-day we had Oregon and yeah. Pennsylvania one day after the next. Just every day another state comes around to do the right thing. And these judges are really trying to leave a positive record for history, uh, like like your quote you just read. And um, one of these cases, or maybe they'll bunch them together, will be at the United States Supreme Court next year or the following year. And it's poised now. There are enough states. There's tremendous momentum that we will see marriage Um, throughout the country, and it'll be done through the Supreme Court, as they are designed to do. That's why we have about three systems of government here, and courts are to protect the minorities. And I I cannot see how any man or woman can watch these states as they uh, allow marriage and see these couples waiting in line overnight just for the chance to get married, just rushing down to the clerk to do it many have been together 10 20 30 years and see this love and this desire to to create a family like everyone else and what that does is send a message to younger people to kids who are struggling with their sexuality right now you're equal and i equate it to the civil rights act of 1964 there's still a lot of discrimination a lot of prejudice in this country but it sent a message to every african-american and Particularly the kids in this country, you're equal. You're you're equal under the law, and that's what marriage will do for the LGBT community.
0: Fred Carger, uh, formerly the 2012 uh, candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, you can get more information on him at fredcarger.com. You should follow his Twitter feed, also at Fred Carger. Fred, before I let you go, uh, are you going to run in 2016 again?
2: Well, I have no plans. I'm promoting. uh, We'll be announcing some screenings in Los Angeles. The documentary on my last campaign, Fred, which is uh, produced by John uh, Fitzgerald Keitel, who's done a lot of documentaries. It's a winner. It's an hour long, and um, that's what I'm going to be out promoting around the country. And it's a great hour film of how to run for president as a first time candidate. also the historic nature of what
0: I did. Uh, I, and I would have uh, promoted it, but nobody seems to have sent me a signed DVD copy of it for some reason, Fred Carger. <laughs> hey, thanks. DVD's in the mail. All right, I look forward to it. Uh, thank you, brother. Come uh, come on into the studio uh, next time you're in town. Always great to talk to. Fred Carger, check out him and his work at fredcarger.com. Thank you, brother.
2: Thanks, Brad. Enjoy it.
0: Yep. Freedom breaking out all over the country. Nice to see. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here and come back with much more of your broadcast, including uh, some information on the upcoming California Secretary of State's race and the Secretary of State candidate who is now threatening to sue me. All of that and more, including Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Straight ahead, this is your broadcast.
1: the 2014 Greek Film Festival celebrates its 8th year, June 4th through the 8th at the Egyptian Theatre in Hollywood. Highlighting the best in Greek cinema, opening night kicks off with Nick Cassavetes' The Other Woman, starring Cameron Diaz. Other highlights include closing night's revenge drama, The Enemy Within, the world premiere documentary of Passage Into History, and the award-winning People and Shadows. With a third of the programming by women filmmakers, the festivities culminate with the Orpheus Awards. KPFK is a proud media sponsor, and further information is available at KPFK. KPFK.org with a link to a full roster of films. A limited number of festival passes, excluding opening and closing nights, for screenings and panels have been offered to KPFK Film Club members who are invited to call the front desk during business hours at 818-985-2711. Dial zero for operator for a pair of passes. And if you aren't already a Film Club member, please consider joining at KPFK.org.
0: That's how it goes. That it is. It's crazy. This crazy race out here in uh, California for uh, Secretary of State is is really crazy, especially when I'm uh, being threatened with a lawsuit from one of the candidates. Go figure. Welcome back. This is your Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, This is uh, an amazing story. You know, so we've got this election coming up, a primary election out here in California coming up uh, next Tuesday. And the way it works now in California, the primary elections, uh, all the candidates are in one big pot. uh, And the top two vote getters of any party go on to compete against each other in uh, in the fall, in November. So even if you got two Republicans, two Democrats, uh, a Republican and a Democrat, a Republican and a Green, a Green and a Libertarian, whoever are the top two vote getters, go on to meet each other in November. Now, out here in California, it's the largest uh, voting populous state. And much of the country actually looks to California and the voting systems that we use out here uh, when they are buying their own voting systems. There are new electronic voting machines, uh, there are various election laws and so forth. So um, the Office of Secretary of State of California is a very important one. It's the chief election official in the state of California. Now, our current Secretary of State, Deborah Bowen, she is term limited, so she's uh, on her way out. She has served two terms here. When she first came into office, she completed the uh, top-to-bottom review of electronic voting systems and found that every single one of them that was used here in the state of California was vulnerable to manipulation without detection in a matter of seconds in such a way that it could flip the results of an election with very little possibility of detection. So she uh, decertified a few of the voting systems, She uh, actually she decertified all of the voting systems, and then she recertified some of them provisionally if they used a certain, uh, uh, you know, security uh, techniques to minimize the uh, chance of stealing an election. Those are what we are now dealing with out here in Los Angeles, the largest, single largest voting jurisdiction in the nation. The county of Los Angeles is inventing a new voting system. Uh, If they move forward, as uh, Dean Logan, the registrar, has told me, it will be a... um unfortunately 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system and there are other jurisdictions around the country who can't wait for LA to do this because then they plan on uh, buying the same system for use out there a lot of aging uh, e-voting systems around the around the country so Suffice to say, what goes on in California is very important. Whoever uh, holds the Secretary of State's office is very important. And we've got a bevy of candidates, about seven of them now on the ballot. Um, the uh, top candidates, uh, two Democrats, one Republican, uh, and uh, and a Green Party candidate. Uh, I've been writing about them f- uh, over the past several weeks, and months, I guess, at bradblog.com. Talking about right now, the leading Democratic candidate is uh, Senator State Senator Alex Padilla. He is the one who put through a radical election reform bill at the end of last year out here in California that does away with federal certification testing of California voting machines. It also does away with a state certification of voting machines if the Secretary of State approves them. So a Secretary of State can approve new electronic voting systems that have not been certified. He can he or she can approve them for use under this new law that has been signed by Jerry Brown for use in live elections without being certified at either the state or federal level. in In essence, it gives unprecedented power to the California Secretary of State uh, to to determine voting systems that are used across the entire state. So this is an important uh, race, obviously. The man who passed that law, as I said, was State Senator Alex Padilla. He is currently the leading Democratic candidate. So that power that he granted to the Secretary of State, that will be his if he, uh, if he wins this November. Of course, he has to get passed Tuesday first. Um, in passing that law over the past several months, uh, Padilla completely misled voters about what that law does and doesn't do. I'm not going to go into the details because we've covered it here at, uh, on the broadcast before. You can check it out at bradblog.com. But uh, it would concern me to have someone uh, who would so blatantly mislead the public uh, as our secretary of state. Then there's uh, Derek Cressman, also a Democrat, a former Uh, official, a former executive with Common Cause. He's great on uh, issues like dark money and the Koch brothers and and disclosure of money, the things that uh, we were talking about a little bit with Fred Carger in the previous hour. Uh, He's great on that. He's not as great... On voting systems. And uh, he was kind enough to uh, get into, uh, to give me a statement on on his current position on voting systems. He's learned a lot clearly over the past year since I first talked to him about some of this. Uh, I still have a number of concerns uh, that he really understands the concerns about electronic voting. Um, So those are the two leading Democrats. Uh, Then we've got uh, the leading Republican. Pete Peterson is his name. He, uh, he's a professor at uh, uh, Pepperdine University uh, in, in a, uh, a school there that is actually funded in part by uh, Charles Koch. Uh, he came out a couple of weeks ago after Rand Paul had made a statement to The New York Times that uh, he was disturbed by the Republican photo ID laws that were sweeping the country. He was concerned about them uh, because they were, quote, offending people. That was Rand Paul. That was actually what he told The New York Times, that uh, these laws are offending people, therefore uh, the party should stop going so crazy about them. He said, I think it's wrong for Republicans to go crazy on this issue because it's offending people. Pete Peterson immediately tweeted uh, that he agreed with Rand Paul. And when I tried to ask Pete Peterson if he agreed with Rand Paul uh, because that these laws are bad because they're offending people, or if he agreed with Rand Paul because these laws are wrong because they disenfranchise tens of thousands of legal voters, I had a very difficult time getting an answer from Pete Peterson. Uh, And I continued to try to do that uh, for several weeks Uh, I received just no response. Uh, I must have tried three or four different times via Twitter. Uh, And then he finally said, uh, the answer that you seek will be in my endorsement from the Los Angeles Times. And, in fact, the Los Angeles Times endorsed Pete Peterson. uh, And he, by the way, is leading uh, by double digits uh, in this poll out here in blue California. We may have a Republican secretary of state. Uh, But that endorsement by the L.A. Times did not say, you know why it was that Pete Peterson opposes these laws, uh, these photo ID restriction laws. In the meantime, then, uh, Rand Paul came out and essentially flipped his position, telling Fox News that he doesn't think there's anything wrong with photo ID laws. So Rand Paul will say whatever Rand Paul needs to say whenever and ran, wherever Rand Paul needs to say it. Uh, but Pete Peterson... Um, was cagey about it. He wouldn't, you know, give me a specific response as to why he opposes these laws. Uh, and I tried for weeks on end to get an answer. I sent an email earlier this week. I did not get an answer. And then today, I published my article on this uh, that Pete Peterson has been vague on his response to polling place photo ID laws. Uh, and. After publishing, it turns out, uh, about an hour or so before it published, while I was uh, on my way to the radio station, I did get a response from Rachel Culbert Mastro, the campaign manager for Pete Peterson. I will be updating my article uh, with his response, with Pete Peterson's response that was finally sent. Uh, And it still doesn't really answer the question, unfortunately. So the response uh, Pete's response uh, on this particular point is quote, "I simply agreed with Rand Paul's assessment that we shouldn't focus on photo ID laws because my work and research have shown me that having those laws in place isn't a significant solution to fraud and isn't the responsibility of the California Secretary of State to initiate." So it sounds like Pete Peterson may be uh, in favor of these laws, I guess, if Uh, One was on the ballot, as may be the case this November. So that's a uh, that's a concern. He doesn't say that he's against them because they're wrong, because they disenfranchise people. Uh, He simply says uh, he thinks that the Republican Party should not, quote, shouldn't focus on it because my work and research have shown me that having those laws in place isn't a significant solution to fraud and is the responsibility of the California secretary of state to initiate uh, initiate. In fact, uh, studies have found, as have courts, including up in Wisconsin, that it's not a matter of them not being a significant solution to fraud. It is, in fact, uh, not a solution at all. The states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania that 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 had tried to put these uh, laws in place were unable to show any instances of fraud that would actually be deterred by polling place photo ID restrictions. There's lots of uh, voter fraud out there, or at least there's some, but it don't happen by people impersonating others at the polls. So at least we got a little bit of an answer there. And again, my thanks to uh, Rachel Colbert Mastro, the campaign manager uh, for Pete Peterson, and I will be updating That article a little bit later tonight once I get home. Uh, In the meantime, then, we go to the Green Party's candidate, David Curtis. And this thing is absolutely insane. Uh, We had David Curtis on this show on the day that he was denied an invitation to the Sacramento Press Club's uh, debate, Secretary of State's debate, despite coming in third place in a field poll, in the field poll in April that showed uh, David Curtis to be in third place behind both Pete Peterson and uh, Alex Padilla, and yet they did not invite him uh, to the uh, to that debate, so I had him on air here to give him a place to, uh, to voice his position, because frankly I think it's outrageous that he was excluded. That appearance on this show came a few weeks after I had run an article at Bradblog in which... I basically copy and pasted the Twitter conversation that David Curtis and I had concerning his position on Internet voting, which he favors, which he has. uh, Now he's saying he doesn't favor it. But if you read the conversation between he and I, uh, for example, uh, it started out with him saying, I support multiple modes of voting. I would support an optional online method of voting, uh, optional online method of voting that is secure and verifiable. You can read that. Conversation for yourself at bradblog.com. Um, he then went uh, and sent a statement to a radio station up in Monterey, KRXA, claiming instead that, quote, I have no position on online voting. Brad Friedman, that's me, invented a position implying that I, quote, strongly support online voting. He then did an apology story regarding my exclusion from the Sacramento P- Press Club forum. David Curtis went on to say in the statement he uh, supposedly supposedly gave to KRXA, uh, he, he posted it on his website, it's still there, uh, saying, quote, The state of journalism seems to be very weakened by the disruptive influence of the Internet. Some blog owners, like Mr. Friedman, sometimes post fabrications masquerading as journalism. So uh, David Curtis, secretary of state, a candidate for the Green Party, is accusing me of posting fabrications masquerading as journalism. He is accusing me of inventing his position on online voting. That in and of itself was remarkable, if completely untrue and defamatory. Uh, but then in, uh, in comments for that story, after I published that story... David Curtis said, In, This is a, you can still see this. Go to bradblog.com. This is just amazing. Uh, he says, quote, I stand by my statements. It is Mr. Friedman who should be sued for defamation. Another uh, reader at Bradblog asked, what are your grounds for defamation against bradblog.com and Brad Friedman? David Curtis, thank you. Uh, David Curtis responded by saying, my attorney will make it clear for all interested parties, as I have said, My attorney will make the case for everyone to see. Best regards, David Curtis. Uh, And then after a few more uh, commenters said, uh, David, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? What are you thinking here? I really wanted to vote for you. I wanted to vote for a Green candidate. Uh, David Curtis replied by saying, quote, I am willing to include more names in the suit by all means, David Curtis. That's your Green Party candidate in California for Secretary of State threatening to sue journalists for reporting what the candidate actually said. Uh, we report, you decide around here. The California primary election is June 3rd. Oh, brother, uh, good luck with uh, with what we have ahead in this particular state and with what the rest of you around the country get to enjoy because of it. Alrighty then, let's do some green news, shall we? Yes. yes. Melting for you. Hey, Desi Doyen.
1: Hey, it's a little bit uh, cooler now in what? California, cool. well, so we don't have to melt quite so much. Well,
0: no, we're melting a lot. It's still a record uh, winter heat. Uh, I'll bet you it's going to be record uh, spring and summer heat.
1: Yeah, that, and uh, the wildfires are yeah. probably going to push oh, the records that. already. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right. Well, speaking of which, uh, for folks who haven't, uh, I don't know if we'll have time, uh, for those people who you uh, haven't gotten here the Green News Report over the last several weeks while we've been on fun drive you can uh, catch up with everything you need to know uh, over at bradblog.com over at iTunes over at Stitcher where all oh well sorry tune in you can download the uh, the Green News Report a go go we're now on a go go
1: or you can just go straight to bradblog.com
0: Where never heard of it <laughs> Uh, and, and catch up on much of what you missed uh, Is there any uh, w- w- One or two uh, bullet points Before we get to the latest Green News report Of things that Bradcast listeners Would have missed over the last uh, several weeks
1: One or two things? Yeah. What are you talking yeah, about? I know one it's or been or a really
0: things. busy We've okay, been a really busy okay week, so it?
1: one thing that was rather major, yeah. I thought, was yeah. that Pope Francis uh, actually came out last week and had his, uh, a, a, what they call a catechesis, where he actually sits and talks to the folks in uh, in Rome, and, and he said that it is very important to take care of the environment, it is very important to address climate change, and he said, essentially, if we destroy creation, creation will destroy us. That was pretty, pretty big for him to say that. I that's
0: thought. one of those uh, lefty popes uh, <laughs> One of those liberal popes to be Ignored, apparently Well,
1: you know, so, it's part of, of this new evangelical Environmental movement yeah. that's rising in The United States as evangelical Christians Are trying to uh, convince <laughs> their Fellow Christians that, hey, you know, God created The world, it might be a good idea to take care of it Since that was the, the whole point of the Bible so the, ev- to do that.
0: so the evangelicals and the Catholics now hate America um, And then
1: um, CNN yeah. Chief Jeff Zucker, you yeah. know, he's the head Of CNN now, and he it was roundly criticized for saying that global warming is indeed an important news story. But then he but. admitted that CNN <laughs> doesn't cover it much because their viewers just don't find it that interesting. And I think it's because CNN's coverage is so boring that, of course, viewers are bored by CNN's coverage.
0: Everything is boring on CNN. <laughs> That's the problem. Now, I shouldn't say that because May, our May what is it May 22nd episode of the Green News Report, in response to this story, we did our our audition. For CNN.
1: Yeah, and so, that consisted basically of punching CNN in the face. Well, but- yes,
0: but we show how you can make uh, green news reporting uh, interesting and amusing. All right, speaking of interesting and amusing, we better get before we run out of time yeah. to our latest green news report. It's actually comparable to the Dust Bowl, and in some places, even worse.
1: Drought decimating Oklahoma's wheat crop.
0: Officials say
2: five helicopters, four duck scooper planes, and three water bombers were brought in from Canada.
1: Massive wildfires in Alaska. The strongest May hurricane on record. California's oil is too hard to frack. Plus, the politics of language. Americans care about climate change. Just don't call it climate change.
0: Okay, I won't. All of those stories about climate change and more, straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It is primary season, which thanks to global warming will soon be our last remaining season. (laughs) I just hope it's our last remaining primary. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, record heat and drought out here in California. Devastating drought now in Oklahoma. Massive wildfires up in Alaska. Deadly landslides in Washington and Colorado. And yet... Over on Fox News, where they like to keep their viewers stupid, here's what they told them this weekend.
1: They can't point to any place on Earth where where, uh, there's been any catastrophic harm to mankind. Is that true,
0: Desi Doyen? No catastrophic harm to mankind?
1: Oh, certainly not. Just think of Superstorm Sandy. Or Super Typhoon Haiyan last year. Or the record tornadoes in Oklahoma.
0: Okay, there you go again, with your details and facts and stuff. This will never do on Fox.
1: No, it most certainly will not. They don't want to talk about the evacuations, for example. That have been ordered after a massive wildfire erupted on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska.
2: State forestry officials have called in reserves. Smoke jumpers from the lower 48 and firefighters from all around Alaska are helping with a ground attack.
1: That fire has now burnt through 250 square miles of forest, an area the size of Chicago. That's the largest of three wildfires burning south of Anchorage. One is threatening an oil pipeline. Now, while large wildfires are not unusual in Alaska, Forest Service officials say it's unusually early in the year for a wildfire this big, and it's unusually dry after the warmest January on record, when Anchorage was 20 degrees warmer than Minneapolis.
0: And as down here in California, the wildfire season has been extended by like a month because of global warming, correct? Yeah,
1: it's almost year-round now down here in California. We're also seeing extremes heating up the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Mexico, where Hurricane Amanda is now a Category 5, making it officially the strongest Pacific hurricane ever recorded for the month of May. In Oklahoma, record drought is decimating crops. Oklahoma City meteorologist Aaron Brackett of KFOR says it's actually worse than the Dust Bowl of the 1930s.
0: We're talking something that we haven't seen in not just years, but decades. Now, the Dust Bowl came about because of bad farming practices amidst uh, a drought. And yet we've improved those farming practices, and yet we're still getting dust bowl-like conditions now in Oklahoma?
1: Right. Good farming practices can only do so much when the climate refuses to cooperate.
0: But mankind isn't being harmed at all, says Fox.
1: And it's so bad that Oklahoma wheat farmer Karen Crubel says crop yields will be devastated this year, and that may force some farmers into bankruptcy. We're only going to have probably something less than 50 percent of our crop this year. And there are extremes on the Great Lakes, where the record winter left behind a record amount of surface ice on Lake Superior, even as temperatures soared over the weekend to a record 85 degrees just a few miles inland in Duluth, Minnesota.
0: So record cold followed by record heat in the same place.
1: Yep. Climate scientists have predicted for decades that climate change will bring an increase in intense and extreme weather events.
0: Oh, but not on Fox. All of these predictions for years have been demonstrably false. The only thing demonstrably false is what they tell you on Fox News.
1: Meanwhile, it looks like California's oil reserves have been vastly overstated. (laughs) Federal energy authorities have drastically reduced estimates of how much oil can be recovered from California's Monterey Shale deposits, cutting those estimates by 96%.
0: In other words, when you look at the number, they overestimated how much oil they'd be able to get out of it by 2300%.
1: (laughs) Yep, it turns out the Monterey Shale deposit in California is mostly undrillable. Too deep and too difficult to be recoverable with today's technology. Finally, Americans do care about climate change. Just don't call it climate change. Call it global warming. That's the conclusion of a new study from the Yale Project on Climate Change Communication. The study shows the term global warming resonates more than climate change, with Americans 13% more likely to understand it is a very dangerous risk. That confirms the secret memo written in 2002 by Republican language consultant Frank Luntz telling Republicans to say climate change instead of global Global warming, because it is, quote, less frightening than global warming.
0: Exactly. He knew global warming was scarier, and he told the Republicans to stop using that phrase.
1: And it looks like it worked.
0: For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your... Green News Report. Thank you, Desi Doyan. My thanks to Desi, our producer, my co-host of the Green News Report. Also, my thanks to Nadia Richardson, our soundboard operator today. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report. He will be joined by author Rebecca Solnit of Men Explain Things to Me. I'm sure he will explain things to her. He will mansplain them. Oh, I'm in trouble. All right, uh, we will join you uh, next time. Same time, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Blog and at BradBlog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America.